Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Um, I hope that everybody picked up one of the handout sheets. Is there anybody that did not get one of those? I'll bring it over. Um, we have just the right amount. Good. Uh-huh. Good planning. And uh, let's see. There's a question box, and there's some little squares on your tables. If you think of something that you just might want to know and um, you don't want to ask it in the class, you're welcome to write it on the card and put it in the question box. Uh, we started the course last week, and our topic... Oh, let's see. I don't have a handout. Let me borrow a handout for just a minute. We just ran out, and I'll get right back in a minute. Um, last week, we talked about the history of the Bible. Um, so we don't have time to go back for much of a review on that today, but um, I hope you were there, or maybe we were there the first time that the class was offered last summer. But this morning... Our goal is to equip the students with the student with some basic skills for navigating the Bible. Why? We hope to be less intimidated by the Bible's volume of words and better equipped to read it. Something that we all need, I think. Our key verse is the same that we had before from 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. That's what we're about, isn't it? We want to be able to handle this word of truth um, with confidence and with reverence. This is God's word after all. So we're now into part two, a Google map for Route 66, whatever that means. Um, so let's see. Let me give this back to Linda. And does everybody have a handout that you can share if you okay, look on? That'd be great. A couple of things um, that I want to point out before we begin. There are a couple of great books. Um, if you are interested in learning a little bit more about the history of the Bible, how to get around in the Bible, how to study the Bible... And they're not big. I'll pass these around so you can take a look at them. If you decide that you want to order these, the order information is on the back of your handout this morning. The last time I looked, they were about a dollar a piece. So um, they won't, won't cost you too much if you decide you want to just pass these around. Keep them together if you would. Um, I ask that today you bring a copy of the Bible that you use, that you're comfortable with. Um, I hope that you remember to do that. If not, we certainly have plenty of Bibles here to use. And uh, the last thing is for next week, I've asked everyone if you would think about a verse of Scripture that has been meaningful to you over your lifetime, something that um, has just always been a special verse for you. Or it can be a special verse that you have just found. The Bible is always current. So whatever, um, just be ready with a verse. 
for next week, and I hope we'll have some time to share those. Any questions about what we're doing or where we're going? Okay, good. Now, let's see. Get my little arrows going. Um, have any of you ever traveled on Route 66? Can you see the... Okay. Yes, all right. This is an old highway. It was commissioned in 1926, and it ran from Chicago to Santa Monica, California. And along the way, if you were driving on Route 66, you could see a lot of American folklore along the way. Now, the road was decommissioned in 19, uh, 1985. So it's some, there are parts of it that are still there, uh, and the, the famous signs are still there also. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about an amazing road of 66 books that um, have not been decommissioned. In fact, they are very popular, and uh, this is a journey that will be, uh, that will take us to some interesting places, I hope. So, we want to put all our addresses this morning in our GPS. That's God's perfect satellite. And we want to buckle up as we're headed down on God's Route 66, the original Route 66. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to open your word with reverence and with thanksgiving. We are so thankful for all these books that you have chosen to put into the scripture for us and then to give it to us in a translation that we can read and understand, all of which we give you thanks and um, we just appreciate the opportunity to think about these books of the Bible this morning and the way they are organized. Father, we ask that your spirit would come and be with us in this room today, that we would learn from each other and that we would as George Mueller said, that we would have a good time over the Word of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I first heard about this, um, the phrase Route 66 used for the Bible from a book by Charles Swindoll, who is a Bible scholar. And I thought, well, what a good thing for us to think about this morning, because it is a journey, isn't it? And we're going to be progressing along. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about every single book of the Bible, but we'll look at some categories. Um, did you know that in the Old Testament, now, see, see if we all remember, what language was the Old Testament first written in? Hebrew. Yes. And Hebrew was written from right to left, not the way we read. There were some other things about Hebrew that are interesting. Um, the, the, the Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in did not have these chapters designated, nor did it have the verses of the chapters. Believe it or not, the language did not even have vowels. Neither did it have spaces between the words. No punctuation? <clears throat> Getting more and more challenging all the time, isn't it? All right, here we go. 
Now, there, now this, I'm giving you some help here because this is actually left to right the way we read. It's also in English. What does that say? Yes. The Hebrew scholars, after all. But that, can you imagine translating the scripture? Um, you know, if you're an English-speaking person and having to do it with this kind, these kinds of limitations. Fortunately, we now have the books. I mean, we have all the uh, the wonderful things about our English language. We also have a way to write a verse so that we can look it up easily. It's called an in- indexing. Did you know that it was not until 1250 A.D. that the scriptures were divided into chapters? Now, that's a long time. You remember last week we talked about that the canon was put together in the first century. So we're looking at a long time before anybody thought, maybe we should divide this into chapters. And then it was 300 years after that that the chapters were divided into verses. So aren't we fortunate to be born at a time when we can open the Bible and find things because we can look for the book and the chapter and the verse and go right to the, the place that we want to read. The fellow that did those verses um, did it on horseback on his way from Lyon to Paris. Now that might have been, must have been an interesting journey, and I'm, I imagine he had to make it a few times. <laughs> So anyway, um, follow along on your handout. Uh, there are some things there that you might want to fill in as we go along. So first thing, we talk toss about these um, names, Old Testament and New Testament, the major divisions of the Bible. What's another word that can be used for testament? The old and the new story? Covenant, covenant. Uh, And you know that a covenant is an agreement. One party, another party agree on something. And then they might write it down and sign it. Or maybe they shake hands. But at any rate, a covenant is a two-way agreement. And we see God making covenants with different individuals all the way through the Old Testament. We're going to look at one this morning. And our first reader, I believe, is John Brooklyn. Um, John, if you would read for us um, Exodus 19, 3 through 6. If you all want to turn to that, please do. Um, Exodus 19, 3 through 6. And what we have here is Moses and the Lord in, in dialogue. All right, John. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Okay. So God lays it out for Moses, doesn't he? And these are, you are going to be my people, he says. And uh, my people are going to obey me. That certainly is in there. 
So the next thing um, is the Ten Commandments. That's going to be coming, and we find that in Exodus 20. By the way, um, what are the two places in the Scripture where you can find the Ten Commandments? We know one, Exodus 20. Deuteronomy 5. Yeah, so just a little um, trivia there. Okay, now... What happens next is that Moses gives an unforgettable visual for the people so that they won't forget this covenant. He slaughters bulls at the altar, and then he sprinkles the blood both on the altar and the people. And so we want to look next to find Israel's response. And this is going to be over in Exodus 24 and 7 and 8. And I think that's going to be only. Then they took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord hath made with you in accordance with all these words. Do you think the people ever forgot that moment? No. That, and their response was, we will obey. So this is just one picture of the old covenant. Um, you have some things here that I learned this last year in Pastor Harmon's Galatians study, and I just thought this was so good, that the Old Testament is SOS. It shows our sin. And, and it is a covenant of laws. A covenant of laws. Um, there were things that God expected of his people and things that they were supposed to do um, out of obedience. Now, we want to look at the new covenant. It was announced by Jesus at the Last Supper. Right before his crucifixion, he knew exactly what was going to be happening to him. And he sits down to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And we want to hear next from Luke 22, 19 through 20. Is that Dean? Okay. I'll wait just a minute and let's give everybody a chance to get there. Luke 22, 19 through 20. Okay. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. So he says, The new covenant in my blood. And so we see the connection. Um, between the Old Testament picture and now the New Testament uh, realization. He met, Jesus met his death, his blood. But he's no longer talking about the earlier <coughs> Mosaic covenant from Exodus, but a new covenant that God would fulfill through the blood of his own son. You know, at 8 o'clock when we go through our... Um, our worship service, and we sing those songs, this is in there. This is in there. We talk about 
Christ, the Lamb of God, who um, offered his blood for us, and we become his children. We sang that this morning. Mm -hmm. And then we sang the Lamb who has begun his reign. You know, we, it's just all in there. We, sometimes we need to think, okay, I'm really going to be aware of what I'm singing about today. And, um, and to be so thankful for this liturgy that we do have. And then, of course, when we go up to take communion, we are literally um, seeing this new covenant realized for us, aren't we? Okay, now... Um, there are many Old Testament prophecies that point to this new covenant. What I'm getting at here is the need for us to consider the Bible as a whole, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even though we think about them as separate entities, we, we really need to study them together. And so I believe, Jim, you have Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31. And while we're looking at um, this, uh, this is Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 31. And Jim is going to read for us in a minute. But think about as you read this. And this is centuries before the birth of Christ. And this is God speaking to Jeremiah. Okay, Jim. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. <clears throat> but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Isn't it wonderful that that was part of God's plan? And, uh, and we see that throughout. So if you look over on the left side, uh, part of the slide here. The new covenant is Jesus, and he offers to us a new covenant in his blood. So the New Testament is also SOS, isn't it? Shows our Savior as opposed to shows our sin. The new covenant, instead of being a covenant of laws, is a covenant of love, a covenant of grace. <coughs> If you've been to worship this morning, you get to hear about God's intentional love for us. And I, I'm, I'm just crazy now about this new word, intentional, as applied to this, because I just thought that was such a great thing um, to hear that it was God's intention. We see it right here in Jeremiah. That's what he proposed. That's what he planned. It was his intention to love us in a new way, in a new covenant. So, now, before we move along, how are we doing? Questions? Thoughts? Yes, Linda. Well, it occurs to me that um, in the Old Testament with the blood, the blood was, was put on them and it was an external thing. In the New Covenant, 
um, it's an internal thing. The covenant is within us. Yes. Um, and that, that makes all the difference. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. That's a very good point. In fact, um, you know, even when we get into the New Testament, the Pharisees never got that. Because for them, it was always an external um, law, something to obey and to check off. And it never got from their heads to their hearts, I guess you would say. And again, um, that Even in Jeremiah, uh, that verse, mm-hmm. I will put my law within them, and yes. I will write it on their heart. It becomes as mm-hmm. we have God's love in us. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Anything else? Yes, Jim. I thought it was interesting. He very clearly says, uh, the, uh, my covenant that they broke. So he, he chastised right there, said, your ancestors didn't do this. And then at the end he says, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Mm-hmm. So it's just like... That's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. So we must always consider the Bible as a whole. You know, the New Testament makes far more sense to us if we study the foundation of the Old Testament. And then the Old Testament, really, for us, doesn't go anywhere unless we study the New Testament. Now, here's the couplet from, it's attributed to St. Augustine. I'm not sure if he really said this, but I really like it. The New is in the old contained. The old is in the new explained. I wrote that for you on your handout. So if you need, I always have to think about that one for a little while and get my mind around it. But I think that's, I think it's true. And then we talked about that the new covenant is um, recalled to us every time we take communion. It's by this sign that God reminds us that he has bestowed salvation on us, sealed and paid for by Jesus' blood. Well, one way that helps us travel around in the books of the Bible is to learn how the books are organized. So here's a question. Would you say that the Bible is organized chronologically by time? No. Yes, no. yes and no. <laughs> All right, you're hedging. Yes and no, but you're right. <laughs> Some things are certainly told in chronological time, from start to finish. We certainly have Genesis at the beginning. We have Revelation at the end time. That hasn't even happened yet. Um, and then we have a lot of things in the Bible that are chronological. But then we have all these other things that are all mixed up and out of sequence, don't we? So how is the Bible actually organized? Well, I decided that it's organized by types of literature. Types of literature. Let me see. Are we ready for a slide? Um, Yeah. Okay. Here's our bookcase. And... The books of the Bible here are they're in order, the way we have them in our Bible. But I like the way they are arranged because now we can see that we have law books, we have history books, we have wisdom books, they're also called poetry books, and the major and minor prophets, and they make up 
the Old Testament. Those are the types of literature that we find in the Old Testament. Um, the New Testament, we have the Gospels right up front. We also have history, but it's only one, only one book of history. We have the letters of Paul to the churches and to individuals. Now, we're going to group those together. Oh, hold up. And then we're going to do the letters of Paul. I'm sorry, the general letters. These are by other people, people other than Paul. And then the last book, Revelation, which this says apocalyptic can also be called prophecy. I'd like for you now to locate the table of contents in your Bible. Um, some Bibles actually have these categories designated. Okay, good. Um, if you just have a list of the books of the Bible, that's still fine. Um, you'll be able to find these and locate these as we talk about them. What do we call these first five books? We've got here on the bookcase, they're called what? Law. The Law. Are they ever called anything else? Okay. Uh, introduction to the books of Moses. Yes. Uh, all right. T O R A H is Torah. Torah. Those are the Hebrew books, the five books of law. That Torah is a Hebrew word. And then I've forgotten already. I know it's Evelyn and Lonnie. You said Pentateuch. That's the Greek. Because penta means five, uh, and tuk means scroll. Five scrolls. Pentateuch is the Greek. Torah is the Hebrew. Same thing. The first five books of the law, the laws of Moses, they are sometimes called. Now, what's included? Well, in, in the book of Genesis, we have two divisions. Genesis 1 through 11 deals with the... Um, the beginning of the world, the stories about the beginning of the world. We have the creation. We have, actually, how many creation stories are there? Two. How many creation stories are there? Two. Are there two? There are two, right? You better tell us, Pastor. I thought there were only two. There's another one in the Psalms. Oh, we're in Genesis. <laughs> but that's important. I didn't know that. Okay, so we can look for a, a third uh, a story of the creation over in Psalms. Good to know. But in Genesis, we know that there are two. Uh, we have Adam and Eve. We've got um, Noah and the flood. And we have the Tower of Babel. Um. We have a son and his wife, our lovely daughter-in-law, who live in Southern California. And they have a dog named Charlie who thinks that he's an actor. And so, just to liven things up this morning a little bit, um, I invited them to send me a picture of Charlie and the animals so that he could be Noah. <laughs> and, I know him. You know him? <laughs> Well, you know, after I think the last couple of days, we're all kind of looking for Noah, aren't we? And I, I got a thing in, in uh, Facebook this morning. It was a 
guy looking out at another person standing in front of him and said he was Noah, and the other guy says, where are we? And Noah says, looks like Virginia. <laughs> I think he's right. I think he's right. So this is just to, to remind us that Genesis 1 through 11 are the earliest biblical stories. Now then we get to verse 12. I'm sorry, not verse 12. Chapter 12 of Genesis. And this is where we see God choosing an individual to become the father of his people. And who is that man? Abram. Abram, later to be called Abraham. And then we began the family tree. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on. And these characters are introduced one by one and their families and their situations throughout the book of Genesis. This morning, we had the last famous character that is introduced in the book of Genesis and the wonderful story of this individual. Do you remember what scripture we read? Joseph. Yes. And if you remember, Joseph was the one who had what? A coat of many colors. Absolutely. That's right. Charlie will do anything as long as you give him a treat. But anyway, this encompasses chapters 12 through 50. That takes us all the way through the end of Genesis. Um, Abraham and his descendants and the 12 sons come in here. And that's from those 12 sons come the what? The 12 tribes of Israel that are then given land throughout the promised land. That's right. Um, Now I want us to go back to, um, well let me say one more thing about the other books. And we'll go back to the other slide for just a moment. This one. Um, So we talked at length about Genesis. But very quickly, the other books of the Bible... um, Take the people into the promised land under the leadership of whom? You remember when they've been in Egypt and now it's time to go back? Moses. Moses takes the people um, to to the border. He looks over. And then his um, second in command, Joshua, takes them in. We're not ready for Joshua yet. All right. So then we have um, then the law, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, all make up the rest of those books. And we see the, um, the law as it's given out, and we see the people begin to obey and then to disobey. All right. Um, the 12 history books come next. There are hundreds of, hist- of years of history covered here. And if you're following along in your table of contents there, um, you might note that the history books began with Joshua, And they go all the way through Esther. Mm -hmm. And that covers the years of the history of the Israelites. It includes um, Joshua and the people going into the promised land. There's a period called the Judges that comes after that. And then we have the, the first three and most famous kings of Israel. Who are they? Who's the first? Saul, David, Solomon. Right. And then after that, we know that the kingdom divides into the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, 
and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. Now, over time, Israel is conquered by the Assyrians and pretty much absorbed there. But Judah is conquered by Babylon, Babylonians, and when and that go, they have to leave their land and be sent to Babylon. What do we call that period of history? The exile. And then 70 years pass, and then they come back home, and what do we call that? They return home. The return. (laughs) Okay, it's hard, I know. The exile is when they leave. The return is when they come home. Just designations for um, chapters of history of the Israelite people. So then we come to the poetry books or the wisdom books. And most Bibles, I've noticed, arrange the wording of these in a different way. Turn for a moment to the middle of your Bible. Um, You might hit Psalms, you might hit Job, you might hit Proverbs, any one of those, or Ecclesiastes or Solomon, those five. Do you notice that the, now I know it probably isn't, it is, yeah, it's written like poetry, right? You've got a line, and then a space, and then it comes down to the next line. It's not a paragraph, right? You've got more space on the page. All of these five books are written that way, and they are some of the most beautiful uh, words that we have in all of our scripture. Job is the book that tries to answer the age-old question, why do the righteous suffer? Then we have Psalms, which is intended for worship, for singing in worship or for personal meditation. Um, Proverbs, full of wise sayings. Ecclesiastes addresses the human condition. And then the love songs of Solomon. So then, okay, are we doing all right? Okay, then we get to the prophets, which are typically divided into major prophets and minor prophets. This is not like baseball. Uh, We're not talking about ability here or salary, the major and the minor. Um, Actually, the major prophets are just longer. They're bigger books for the most part. And there are only five major prophets. Um, Let's see. There we are. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely right. Um, They um, talk about the time when the prophets are sent by God to speak to the people or to speak to the kings, and they are usually either telling them they better shape up, there are a lot of dire warnings, or there are some rays of hope, some rays of light that come through the prophets. The minor prophets or their their cousins, the same thing. There are 12 of those. They are smaller, shorter, in length. So, any questions about the the books of the Bible so far? This takes us through the Old Testament. Now, if our Bible were in chronological order, when we got to the history section in the Bible, and it's say it's talking about King David, then it might give us a group of psalms that we would read at the same time. 
because David would have written those psalms about that particular occasion. There is such a thing as a chronological Bible. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the editor has taken the books of the Bible and really written them in chronological order. And it's an interesting way to read the Bible if you ever get a chance to, to do that. Um, if you look, if you look, at, yes. uh, look at it as a whole, it is chronological, old and new. Thank you. I, I can always count on you to cut to the chase. <laughs> that is true. Exactly. Um, the oldest, oh, I know, and one, one more picture to show you here. You might recognize this prophet. <laughs> one of the most famous of the minor prophets is Jonah. And he finds himself in the belly of a large fish. And then that is where he makes the important decision. Hmm, I think I should go to Nineveh after all. Now, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And this is the prophet who um, tells us that there is going to come a messenger who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Lord who um, all through the centuries the people of the Old Testament have been waiting for. However, and we know, who, what's his name? Who's this person that's going to come that, um, that Malachi is talking about? Who's going to prepare the way for Jesus? John the Baptist. But it's going to take 400 years before that event occurs. When we get to the end of the, whole, the Old Testament, there are 400 years of silence. That means God is not speaking to the prophets during that time. And he does not pick up again until we see the entrance of John the Baptist in our New Testament. So, like any road trips, it's always kind of fun to take a detour. So here we are in the middle of the Old Testament, I mean, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and um, we're just, we see this road, and we think, hmm, that looks really interesting. Let's see what's there. You can do this in retirement. <laughs> okay, I have a question for you. The oldest books of the Old Testament, all right, think about this now. We've got our Old Testament. The oldest copies of that Old Testament. Where are they today? And where would we go to see them? And when were they actually written? Well, in 1947, a Bedouin boy was chasing his goat. And he went into a, gate, a cave and threw some pebbles in there. But the pebbles did not make the sound of a thud. They made the sound of shattering pottery. This young boy had found the first of what would later be described as the Dead Sea Scrolls. In time, there would be 800 scrolls uncovered in 11 caves. You can see the, um, this is what these caves would have looked like. And then you've got all the different caves numbered here. Number 11. There were 11 in all. Interesting thing. Every single book of the Old Testament was discovered 
except the book of Esther. <coughs> Pastor Winterhoff taught us last year, sometime, I can't remember which class it was, that the only book in the Old Testament that does not mention the name of God mm-hmm. is what? Esther. Now, he's there, but the name of God is not mentioned in the book. I think it's very curious that that's the one that was missing in all the scrolls that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. Now, it took 20 years for these scrolls to be identified and analyzed and finally placed in a museum where they could be shared. They are in Jerusalem. Have any of you been to this museum in Jerusalem and seen the Dead Sea Scrolls? We saw them in San Diego. You saw the Dead Sea Scrolls in San Diego. Now, how long ago was that? They traveled around 10 or 12 years ago. Interesting. I didn't know they'd ever let them leave. We saw them in the museum. In the museum, they were in D.C. In D.C.? Oh, wonderful. That's great to know. Linda? Do you know, Debbie, if you say every book was discovered except Esther, were there other ones discovered? Were there other scrolls? I think so. Okay. Mm -hmm. But um, by then, the canon had been established. Yes. So, in fact, that brings up an interesting thing because um, these scrolls, are, um, were determined to be the oldest manuscripts, the oldest copies of the Old Testament books. Before that time, the oldest copies they had dated to 1008 A.D. So isn't that something that they, they found these scrolls that were a thousand years older than what they had, the copies that they had? And what makes that even interesting is that they were able to compare the newer ones with these original ones. And the newer ones were exact copies. So it was such a confirmation that what people wrote, uh, a lot of this we talked about last time, that the scribes and the copiers and the translators and the publishers and so forth, it's accurate, and I think we can trust that. Now, how did these scrolls get here? They, it's believed that a group, a religious group called the Essenes um, were also scribes who collected these manuscripts and copied them and then stored them in these jars for their protection. This would have been around the year 70 A.D. when Titus destroyed Jerusalem, including the temple, and so they were trying to preserve these scrolls. Well, preserve them, they did. It's believed that it was the dry desert heat that preserved the scrolls. And the pots. And, well, and the pots. And the pots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The pots. And the giant. Yeah, and the pottery. So, uh, one more thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls is because of their age, these are probably the age of the scrolls that Jesus would have read. It's right in that same time period. Mm-hmm. All right, back to the main road. We're going now to the New Testament categories. And here we have their five sections. Gospels, history, letters of Paul, general letters, and prophecy. Come on. We've got we to speed. <laughs> I hope we don't get a ticket. Um, the four Gospels 
up here right at the beginning of the New Testament. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news. And it truly is the best news, the greatest news ever written, the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first three um, Gospels, I'm going to come back to this in a minute. The um, first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as synoptic. S-Y-N means same, and of course optic is point of view. So they have the same point of view. And what that means is they are biographical. They tell the life of Jesus. They include miracles and parables, um, teachings to to the multitude. But then we come to John, and that has a different viewpoint. His is um, more subjective. I think, I think he would say more abstract, more contemplative, and um, not necessarily a biography. He includes the I Am passages. He includes um, conversations with individuals and prayers, uh, more prayers of Jesus. So in the synoptics, we see Christ in action more. Whereas in John, we see him more in meditation and in communion. Uh, There are also four pictures of Jesus in the Gospels. In Matthew, Jesus is king. And then the opposite of that, Mark, he is servant. In Luke, Jesus is son of man. And then in John, the opposite of that, he is son of God. And so that's why it's important to study all of these Gospels together. We get different things from different writers. The Gospels tell us when and how Jesus came. But the epistles that are coming up in a a minute, the letters, tell us why Jesus came. That's why it's so important to study these letters. Um, let me go back to our list again. Okay. Um, Acts, you'll remember, was uh, written by one of the gospel writers. Do you remember which one? Luke. Mm-hmm. And it is the only history book in the New Testament. It covers the birth of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit. It has special significance for us in this room also. Because we find out in Acts that Jesus has come also for the Gentiles. And it's a wonderful book to study and to read. They are all great, but um, Acts is certainly one of my favorites. We also meet the new apostle missionary, a fellow by the name of Paul. This sets us up for the next category, the Pauline Epistles. Epistles are not the wives of the apostles. <laughs> epistle is a fancy word for letter. We call it email. They called it epistle. Um, there are 13 letters of Paul written to churches and individuals. And um, they are wonderful explanations of who Christ is, what he is doing, and how we can look forward to when he will return. Then you have the general letters by various other authors. We won't talk about that right now. And then the final book, Revelation, all yet to be realized. 
So as long as we're in the table of contents, it's fairly easy to find our way along Route 66, right? But we don't want to have to keep turning back to the table of contents every time we want to look up a book in the Bible. So I wanted to ask you this morning, do you have some suggestions for how to find things in the Bible, or things that you've used personally that are aids to help you look up a book? Anybody? Yes, Sally. General Electric Power Company. Absolutely. Now, would you explain that, please? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. It's also A-E-I-O-U. Well, wait a minute. Let's get this one first. General Electric Power Company. There, when you get into the New Testament and you're looking for these particular books of Paul, that's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, and then what? A-E-I-O-U? Yeah. Galatians is it with the A. Ephesians is the E. Philippians is the I. Colossians is the O. That's... Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. That works too. It works. Hey, you know what? You, you use what works for you, right? Something else. How do you get to the? What do you find if you go to the middle of your Bible? Psalms. Sometimes. <laughs> yes. Supposedly you get to Psalms, but if you don't hit Psalms, you probably will reach maybe one of those other uh, prophecy books, and you know you're close, right? Um, something else. And then you divide the next half, the right half, you get to the New Testament. Okay. That's right. Okay. So if you if you go if you go to the middle, right. and then you go to the middle of the second half, right. Pastor says, then that takes you to the New Testament. So that's a help. Cool. What else? Yeah, that's good. And we used to sing the books of the Bible to the song of Davy Crockett. Oh, I don't know that one. I'm afraid I won't be able to sing it all. Oh, how cute. (laughs) (laughs) Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just memorize the Old Testament, that's all. And that's all you have to do, that's right. Well, when we teach our children in confirmation, they sing the books of the Bible song. And it's very it's very upbeat tune that um, it, they can identify with. And it's really cute, and it works. So one day, I had asked Charlotte Rebell if she would find something to read for us. And it was taking her a really long time, and a really long time, and I thought, okay, what are we going to do here? I said, Charlotte, can I help you there? She said, oh, no. She said, I just have to sing the song. <laughs> so she was in her mind. She was singing the whole song until she got to that book. I understand. Take your time. It really does work. Um, there are tabs that you can. Yeah, you're right. Tabs that you can hook on to the pages of your Bible. But the best thing is just to keep doing it. How many of you have ever been lost in Williamsburg? Thank you. When we moved here, I thought, this is the craziest place I have ever tried to get around. I I literally, if I had two places to go, I literally could go to one place and then I had to go home before I could go to the next. I could not get from A to B without coming home in between. And then they crossed me up with four iron bound roads. 
That is just so crazy. Yes, Jim. I was going to say, whenever you get lost, just go to Ironbound and turn left. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Now that I have lived here almost 16 years, I'm much better at getting around. You know, I do kind of know where things are, and I know the shortcuts, and I can get different places in town without having to come home in between. So it's kind of like Route 66 in the Bible, isn't it? I think, you know, the more we do it, the more we look up things, and we think, oh, yeah, I remember Jonah now. He's over there in those minor prophets, and I think I can find him back there. So it's, you know, it just takes practice, and I would encourage you, keep, keep doing it. Keep doing Bible study. Now, this morning, um, oh, I know one more quick thing I wanted to mention, and that is, have you noticed that in worship on Sunday morning, we always have three readings. Mm-hmm. Where do they come from in the Bible? Old Testament. Old Testament. Epistle. Epistle. Well, New Testament. Let's say New okay. Testament. Yeah. And gospel. An old, a new, and a gospel. Usually. Not every time, but most of the time. And then there can also be one more thing sometimes. We use a psalm. There is a psalm assigned to every lectionary, reading, group of readings. And these come from a designated list that our church uses. Oh, Pastor, you're shaking your head. What am I saying wrong here? No, you are. You're saying it right. Okay. That, that we're supposed to use. That we're supposed to use. Well, I know. That Pastor we, Harmon uses his discretion all the time. Well, that's fine. But at least we have something we can go back to. Right. And there are many other churches and other denominations that use the same list. I know a lot of times I may be comparing notes with my sister and in the Episcopal Church, and she'll say, oh, we have that same reading today. And that's a comfort to me, that there are people all over the world that maybe are reading the same scripture that we are reading today. Well, you can find those in our hymnal. They list this, you know, A, A, B, and C series, you know, for you know every Sunday relative to, you know, the season of the church. There is a fancy word for this, and um, I always get it mixed up with periscope, and that's not what it is. What is pericope? So if you come across a funny word, <laughs> periscope. That, yeah, just think of periscope. No, pericopes, and it me is the same thing as the lectionary. Is that right? I think. Okay. Well, we don't need to be concerned with that right now. But just just to be mindful that when we worship on Sunday morning, those scriptures are selected from all parts of the Bible. We don't just focus on the New Testament here. We hear things from the entire scripture, and that, that's very important, I think. So I ask you if you would bring um, a favorite translation. Did anybody do that this morning? I wanted to hear from you if you did. Um, and we have uh, time to do that. If you would tell us what you brought... Um, and why you like this. Maybe some, maybe there's something unique about it um, that you want to share with us or how you found it. Um, whatever. Judy, if, could you start us off? Yes. Um, I've got the uh, contemporary English version. Okay. And that would be abbreviated, what, CED? Contemporary English? I've seen that, I think. CED. I think it was out way before the message, but that really helped me because it's, uh-huh. it's written in contemporary form. Good. Um, it's inscribed from Philip to Judy, January 96. 
And I think it's got orange juice on the front of it. <laughs> orange something. But it's, uh, it, I've got it underlined. I took it to Vacation Bible School in Alaska. And it's, here's my little doodads that I've taught lessons with. This is, this is Daniel in the lion's den. Aww. So it's got really precious. It's really precious to me. Mm-hmm. How about that? So if you um, really want to study something or hear from the Lord about something, that's probably the one that you go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I can tell that's a very precious one. Okay, Linda? I have the ESV version. It's the Lutheran Study Bible. And what I like about it is that after every chapter or after every book, Luther gives his viewpoint of what the book was about. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. It is, isn't it? And he, he was a prolific writer. I don't think we realized how much Luther wrote. And so, yeah, that's, that's great to have his perspective. Okay, anybody else? Even if you didn't bring it, you can probably tell us what it is and why you like it. Anyone? John? This is a footnote. Pericope, P-E-R-I-C-O-P-E, a cutting out. In rhetoric, a set of verses that forms one coherent unit or thought suitable for public reading from a text now usually of sacred scripture. Thank you. Now we have the official definition. Good to know. Appreciate that. Um, We probably need to stop. Unless anybody has one more quick one. Yes, John. I have an English translation of the Hebrew Bible. And it's interesting to compare what they say with what our contemporary Mm -hmm. Bible says. I bet so. There's one new, uh, one uh, place where the, in uh, the New Testament where it talks about the priest coming and talking to the king. Mm-hmm. And who is this priest that you're talking about? And the Hebrew Bible says that's the son of Adam. Oh, well. It's talking about Jesus being Jesus. the son of Adam. How interesting. Yeah. Well. It's always good, isn't it, to read different translations and to find out um, different ways that people have interpreted the scriptures. Uh, trusting that the Holy Spirit has superintended it all. Okay. Um, I think we're winding up here. A word from Jesus to Charlie. Him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus makes that comment eight times in the gospel. So thanks for listening. <laughs> let's, let's pray and then we'll go. Father God, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for guiding us through on this Route 66 and for the challenge that you lay before us to get into your word and find our way around it and discover new and wonderful things from you. I ask, Lord, for safety and good health for all of us in the coming week. Um, and that you would bless our staff as they return home from Arizona. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.